Say it. Say I'm Bailey. I'm Bailey. And I'm Oliver. And this is Survivor Survivor Team Go! We just high-fived. That's what that noise was. How's your week going, Oliver? I don't know, man. (laughs) It's only Sunday, and uh, it was kind of a rough start. I opened today, which was fun, at work. I opened at work at my coffee shop. That was fun. And then I've been having some coffee shop drama. Weird politics. Doesn't matter. The tips aren't fair. That's a bummer, dude. Whoever heard of a coffee shop that doesn't split their tips evenly? You can't go... The morning people can't take home their tips, and then the evening people don't get any of the morning people's tips but still have to set up for the morning people. You can't do that. It's bullshit. And then you get bitched at if you don't close properly. So, like, And it's a big shop, so you have to, you're supposed to mop the entire fucking thing. And last night it was fucking packed, and the night before it was packed. It didn't matter. I'm, like, really fed up. But it's a job. How's your week going, Bailey? Um, it's been okay. Like, I worked at my second job today. So I have, like, a... I work for a secret government agency. It's, like, sort of a nine-to-five. And then on the weekends and nights sometimes, I work as a painting party host. So you bring your own wine to this place and you sit on stools and... I put on like this Britney Spears microphone and <laughs> tell you, you, yeah, I do. we have to wear these like little '90s Britney mics. Oh my god, that's great. and like t- tell people how to paint like a painting, a painting of their dead horse, a painting of their dead horse. That's what I had to do today. She was like, "Well, she wasn't black," and I was like, "Okay, well, shadows exist." Anyway, so that's that's what it is. We may be getting evicted from our apartment. Oh right. Yeah, hey guys. So last time we we uh, did recorded this podcast, none of this fucking bullshit with the apartment had happened. But it turns out, um, well, Bailey's bedroom ceiling started leaking like a month ago. Let's keep it short. Let's keep it short and sweet. The, then the ceiling collapsed. The ceiling in my bedroom collapsed from water damage from a leak, and then the I spoke to our landlord last week on the phone and. Just to make a long story short, the conversation ended with him screaming, I'm taking you to court. I'm taking you to court. And me screaming, you're crazy. You're crazy, motherfucker. And then we just sort of like hung up on each other. So there's a lot of uh, mutual resentment in our relational dynamics, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a piece of shit. Who tries to like, he's like, oh, you tore the ceiling down. I'm going to evict you. I've never had to evict a tenant that paid their rent on time. Because that's the fucking, like, irony of it is that we're, like, perfect tenants. We pay our rent on time. We take really good care of this place. And he's like, I'm going to evict you. You know what I'm going to do with that? Because I am mad that I'm supposed to fix the ceiling that was damaged because I was not doing my job as a landlord. I'm going to evict you. So... Maybe we're being evicted, or maybe Steve had just done a bunch of coke that day and was out of his fucking mind. There's no, we have, we have no way of knowing. We have no way of knowing. Six and one half doesn't really. Do we have any shout outs this week? I mean, I'm, I kind of want to shout out to uh, a second Ryan at work because he's going through some shit. Um, I asked him, I saw him last night. Can I just interrupt this shout out and ask you if it has anything to do with abuse survivors? It does. Okay. Yeah, no, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, go. Like, go ahead. he's not real. He, I mean, he would never use the word like abuse, because um, he's like in a situation right now. But I, like, I'm pretty sure that something fucked up is going on. He was living with his dad and his brothers, and I heard something about how his brother, who's like just gotten broken up with his girlfriend, is like really depressed and suicidal, but also making some sort of violent threats. Anyway, he moved in with his mom and his sister, uh, and I asked him if he'd actually successfully done that And he last night, um, and he was like, oh, you're so sweet for remembering. What a carrying re- memory or whatever. I don't know. He's real, real like, 
like falling over himself to thank me for like just remembering that like maybe his brother was like threatening him, which seems like a, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a very victim sort of thing to sort of mindset to be in. Like somebody's really sweet for remembering that your life is maybe in danger <laughs> and being worried about you like weeks later. Like, I don't know. Poor Ryan. I think he's safe now though, maybe. Uh, more safe. I used to live with my brother and he used to threaten me. It's rough. Family's rough. Families suck. Well, shout out to Ryan. Good luck, Ryan. Uh, you're probably better off living with your mom, question mark. We don't really know. Do you have any shout outs this week? I do. I do have a shout out. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to Rihanna. Like the no, the Snapchat stock plummeted after Rihanna called out Snapchat on Twitter. That's amazing. For an advertisement in Snapchat, and the advertisement was a a game where Chris Brown, you play as Chris Brown, beating Rihanna. That's the what game. What the fuck? Yeah. That's so fucked up. And Rihanna, like, called them out on Twitter and was like, you're promoting domestic violence. You're making a joke out of domestic violence. This is disgusting. And then now their, like, stock plummeted today after Rihanna was well, like. Well, fucking good. Yeah. So I was like, at first I saw the story and I was like, wait, their stock plummeted after they ran an ad that was like, domestic violence is bad. And then I clicked on the story ready to be outraged. And then it was like, no, their stock plummeted after they ran an ad that was like saying domestic violence is funny. And I was like, this is bullshit. Like, I can't believe there's a fucking, that anybody, I just, who the fuck develops, I mean. Lots of people think rape is funny. Well. But Rihanna is great. Rihanna, I mean, I like Rihanna a lot. I really, I'm a really big fan of like her um, Fenty Beauty makeup line. Yeah. I'm, I can't afford any of it. But I am a fan of it existing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have those makeup subscription boxes. Do they ever send you Fenty Beauty? No. Oh, why not? What are you doing, Ipsy? What are you doing, Boxy Charm? Fenty's too popular. They don't need to advertise in subscription boxes. Oh. Riri, if you're listening to this, send me some foundation. I need, like, the lightest one. <laughs> Bailey's very pale. She's Irish, you know. I mean, I, I like it because you had, like, actual, like, dark-skinned woman shades, but I, myself, need the porcelain shade. <laughs> <laughs> We're really white. Sorry. No, I mean, I would say that I'm I mean, really white, and Oliver's kind of, like, bohemian. Literally. Like a Czech, like a Czech ancestor. I have three Czech ancestors. I'm... Which almost is, almost a quarter check. Which is which is still pretty white. Oh, you know what? <laughs> I'm one sixteenth Jew. It's like being one sixteenth Cherokee. Different Holocaust though. Oh. Oh. Oh no. See, it's one of those jokes hmm. that's not really funny. It's not funny. <laughs> What's the difference between a Jew and a pizza? Oh God, fuck. Fuck this joke. Fuck this joke. No. A pizza doesn't scream when you put it in the oven. I heard this joke from a boyfriend in high school, no, and I almost slapped him in the face. It doesn't matter where we heard it. It's just one of those jokes where you're like, why do people exist? I hate the world. True. I need a, a, a Remember that movie? Nod. Remember that movie with that guy who, like, he was Jewish, and then he met this, like, woman I think they were all in Italy and he like came in on like a white horse and convinced her to marry him it was life is beautiful life is beautiful oh my god remember that movie Principessa yeah that was such a beautiful movie and then he died because soap it was really sad everybody go out and watch that movie we saw a dubbed version and a subbed version but like in class but there oh this is something you'd have to cut yeah no yeah that's too much we did see that Keep it short and sweet, Oliver. Like my dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, Survivor stories? Yep. I'm going to start because you started last time with Baca, so I'm going to start. Do it. Okay. Tell me. Are you ready? Wait. Wait, I'm not ready. Wait, no, I'm ready. Wait, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Wait, but like, are you ready, though? 
Wait, I'm not sure now. Wait. No, wait. No, I'm ready. Okay, so I was like, who do I want? I knew who I wanted my first featured survivor to be in this podcast, but I was like, who do I want my second featured survivor to be? Because they're all so good and beautiful and inspiring, and I love them all so much. And I was really close to having it be about some other people who it's not about. But after just about five minutes of thinking about it, because it didn't take very long, I knew that there was only one woman who could follow Stacy Lannert from our last episode in my heart. And that's Josefina Rivera. Listeners, she's been telling me for like literally like a week that she's so excited to tell me about Josefina Rivera. Like Oliver, are you ready to hear about Josefina Rivera? And I'm like, yeah, I'm super ready. What, who's Josefina Rivera? And she's like, well, I'm not telling you yet. <laughs> I'm saving it for this. Okay, so Josefina Rivera just want to give her a plug. She wrote a book recounting her experiences. It's called Seller Girl by Josefina Rivera. And you can get it on Amazon. So go buy her book. I have not bought her book. I haven't read it. I probably should read it. I just didn't. I don't know. These things are triggering for me. But I feel like Josefina is Josephine is not as triggering as Stacy because like it's less similar to my experiences in life. Yeah. Good title. Yeah, the one thing that really pissed me off, though, is that um, Josefina Rivera is black, and the pers- the girl on the cover of the book, Seller Girl, is, like, obviously white. That's fucked up. And looks like she's maybe 13, and Josefina Rivera was 25 and African-American. So I don't know why she wasn't on the cover of her own book. I That's, was annoyed. That seems really weird. I don't know who made that decision, but... She should have been on the cover of her own book. Also, she's fucking beautiful and much more interesting than, like, generic clip art white girl. Yeah, she's the cover image of, uh, of our uh, Facebook page right now, and she's, she's gorgeous, and she has a lot yeah. of personality, and, like, I feel like she could really sell a book with her face, you know? Since it's her book about her story. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, I don't know. It was weird. I was like, wait, this can't be the right book. This is not Josefina Rivera. Anyway, so um, I wanted to open telling you guys about Josefina Rivera's experience by summarizing an interview with her that I think was filmed shortly after she escaped. And I'm just going to like summarize the things she said in that interview, which you can find on YouTube. All right, so Josefina Rivera, she's... Um, 25 years old, African-American woman, gorgeous. She's wearing a tube top, and she has a wooden rosary looped around her left wrist. And she is telling the following story in her interview. She was picked up at 2nd and Girard the day before Thanksgiving of 1986. She went to the house of the man that picked her up, and they had sex. Afterwards, when she started getting dressed, he came up behind her and started choking her. She said that all she could see were scenes from her life flashing through her head. And when she came to, he had handcuffs on her arm, and he was telling her, stay still, shut up, I won't hurt you. So remember, this is just like me summarizing what she said in her interview, because we don't have the audio from the interview, because we're not, we're not cool like that. Um, so he kept trying to get her to fit in a hole in the floor. They were in his basement, slamming, he was slamming a plywood board on her head, because she couldn't really fit in the hole. But he just kept slamming the plywood board on her head, trying to get her to fit in it. And she's, like, screaming. I guess once he gets the board on top of her, she's, like, in the hole, and she's screaming. And he comes back with a stick, and he takes the board off and pulls her out of the hole and beats her with the stick, and then he puts her back in the hole. She was in the hole for at least 27 hours after that, based on the times given by the radio, which I guess she could hear. Eventually... During those 27 hours, she could hear someone on top of the board that was covering the hole. And she could hear this other person was a woman, and she was crying. And Josefina heard her attacker, the man, saying to the other woman she could hear above her who was crying, Come on, Sandy, you know I'm not going to hurt you, right? For the first month in the basement, Josefina and Sandra were by themselves. There's no bathing, no combing hair, and they spent most of their time in the hole. Gary, which Josefina learned was the name of her kidnapper at some point, 
would bring them hot chocolate for breakfast in the morning, and then at night he would bring them two or three hot dogs or something like that. He told them that he wanted to have a farm with all these women and all these kids, blah, blah, blah. So at some point, more women are added to this uh, basement. And something started to happen in the hole with suddenly everybody having a rank, like first in charge and second in charge. And he was running out of room for everybody in the hole or everybody in the basement. So Josephina, since he, she was there first, he would let her be in the basement free and he would put everyone else in the hole. And Lisa was in charge of everybody in the hole, according to Josephina. One day, he was having Sandra punished. Apparently punishments were very common. He had Sandra punished, and she was handcuffed to the ceiling beams and not eating. And he was trying to get her to eat by stuffing bread in her mouth. When you were punished, he would only let you have water, and then bread, and then water with more food. Like, he would take away all your privileges, and you would start all over again, building your privileges back up. So he's trying to stuff bread in Sandra's mouth, according to Josephina, and Sandra's whole body... No, wait, this is later. Never mind. It's a little bit incoherent, the interview, but I want to convey it in the way that it was presented. So Sandra's whole body just collapsed, and I guess this was later when Gary was gone, and she was just dangling from the handcuff, and Josephina told Lisa to go over and tap her and see if she could wake her up, but Sandra didn't move. Eventually, Gary comes down, and Gary puts the key in the handcuff, and Sandra falls, and the back of her head hits the sharp concrete edge of the hole, and he's like, She's dead. She's dead. And that had Josephina really messed up because Sandra had been there with her since the beginning. So then Gary takes Sandra's body upstairs and he puts Sandra's head in the pot and her ribs roasting in the oven and her arms and legs in the freezer. And he tells Josephina that if she doesn't cut out her bullshit, this is going to be her. Then at some point later, I guess, uh, all the women and Gary were watching a dog food commercial and the women were saying that the dog food in the commercial looked good enough to eat. So Josephina said that Donna told Gary that Deborah would eat dog food if he would give it to her, but that's not what Deborah said. Deborah was just saying, like, oh, that dog food in that commercial looks good enough to eat. And then Gary, he goes upstairs, gets the dog food, and makes the three women that were on punishment at that time eat the dog food. And then he was taking Sandra's body grinding it up in a food processor and mixing it into the dog food. And then he was feeding that to the three women on punishment. Then at a later point, he had three women in the hole and he made Josephina help him fill the hole with water. And he took power cords and stripped the rubber off them and then took the live wires and put them against the chains with the women in the hole attached to the chains while the women were in the hole in the water. It was a common, I guess it was a common torture or whatever. One day, Deborah was in the hole with the water, and she was hollering, and then she stopped. And the other women in the hole were like, something's wrong with Deborah. And Gary thought that something was wrong with the wire. But the women in the hole were like, no, something's wrong with Deborah. And they were like, look in the hole. Because I guess he put them in the hole, and then he put the board on top of it. And then he would weigh the board down with sandbags. There's photographs online. It's very upsetting. Okay, so eventually Gary, like, lifts up the board, and Sandra's lying, or no, Deborah's lying, Sandra's already dead, Deborah's lying face down in the water, and he grabs her by the back of the hair, and he looks at her face, and he's like, yeah, she's dead. Now all my troubles are over. Now I can go back to having a peaceful basement. You would have a fucking peaceful basement if he didn't kidnap a bunch of fucking women. What the fuck? You know, later at the trial, he actually said that the women were already in the basement when he moved into the house. That was his his defense. I mean, he sounds like a fucking idiot. From the very beginning, he sounds like an idiot. But, I mean, what do you expect? What a goddamn monster. Anyway, the the thing that I took away from this horrible... I mean, it was an amazing interview. um, But it's, like, horrible but amazing because it's, like, the resilience of Josephina. But she was, like, very matter-of-fact about the whole thing and like never she only seemed like a little bit upset sometimes and you could tell that she was like I mean maybe most people wouldn't be able to tell but like we have experience with like dissociation so you could tell that she was like extremely dissociated 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she was just like, but there were times when she would, like, look sad. And mostly it was when she talked about people dying, obviously. I mean. Yeah, that makes sense. But she was just like, well, Jebber did this. And Sandra said that. And, you know, like, they were just all friends that she was hanging out with. How long was she there? Four months. Okay. So then at the end of the interview, um, it shows Josefina. And she looks at the screen. Or she looks at the camera and she says, I, Josefina Rivera, and Gary Heinlich electrocuted Deborah Dunley on whatever day it was, I can't remember. Might have been like the 21st of March, 1987. So she says that she is also responsible, which like is bullshit because he was making her do it. But that's the whole thing with Josefina Rivera is that even though she's this incredible person... And I haven't even told you the amazing part yet. Everybody blamed her and said that she was his accomplice. Yeah, it's really disgusting. He kidnapped her. Right? Okay, so kidnapped and tortured her. Um, I just want to end that section with the final quote from the interview. So, quote, Anytime you're held captive from the world outside and whoever is holding you captive, the same person after a period of time, you're going to grow to like them regardless because he's your only contact to things that are outside or he's your only source of survival. And over a period of time, psychologically, you know this, you know, you know, this is the person who's going to bring you bread and water and things like that. So it just became, he just created his own little world in his basement and everybody just kind of pretty much dealt with it, I guess, in their own way. So November 1986, Josefina Rivera, 25, who had gotten into drugs at a young age, was working as a sex worker in downtown Philadelphia the day before Thanksgiving. She was trying to get clean in order to get back the two of her children who had been placed in foster care, but she was struggling. She was solicited for sex that night by 48-year-old Gary Heidnick. They went to Gary's house and had sex. After which Josephina was putting her clothes back on, he came up behind her and began choking her, handcuffed her, and then led her naked to the basement where she spent the next four months in captivity. On November 25, 1986... Gary kidnapped Josefina Rivera. On December 3rd, 1986, he kidnapped Sandra Lindsay, age 24. Josefina Rivera was 25. Sandra Lindsay was 24, a longtime friend of Gary. She was kidnapped on December 3rd. She was murdered in February. Lisa Thomas, age 19, was kidnapped on December 23rd, 1986. Deborah Dudley age 23, was kidnapped on January 2nd, 1987. She was murdered on March 19th. Jacqueline Askins, age 18, was kidnapped on January 18th, 1987. She was later featured on the Steve Wilkos show, I Survived a Serial Killer. Good for Jacqueline. And then Agnes Adams, the last victim, age 24, was kidnapped on March 23rd, 1987, with Josephina's help, but she was rescued the same day. Heidnick kidnapped Josephina first. He then brought the other five women into the basement and proceeded to torture them for months. He planned to use them to breed babies because he wanted to have lots of babies, but as he told Josephina, the state kept taking them away, which is true. He had several children that had been removed either to foster care or their mothers had complete custody of them. So Heidnick wanted them all to be his slaves, his sex slaves. Side note, and maybe why you haven't heard of any of these women, all of them were African-American. So Gary Heidnick was white. He would shove screwdrivers in their ears to puncture their eardrums so they couldn't hear when he was coming or going. Sandra Lindsay, an old friend of Heidnick, she died of starvation, torture. Uh, Josephina talked about seeing that. Heidnick had thought that she was pregnant, and his first reaction when he realized she was dead was, oh man, what a waste of a baby. Realizing that dumping her body would throw suspicion on him, Heidnick dismembered her, boiled her head on the stove, roasted her ribcage, and wrapped the rest of her limbs in sandwich bags and put them in the freezer. He may or may not have then started grinding up Sandra's remains, mixing them with dog food, and feeding them to the other women in the cellar. Uh, there's some dispute about whether or not this is true. Josephina talked about it in her interview, and I think 
that he must have told Josephina and the other women that he was doing it, although his defense attorneys claim that there was no forensic evidence of humans being ground up in his kitchen. But your defense attorneys will say anything. His defense attorneys also claimed that they were the ones that spread rumors they said that they spread the rumors that he was a cannibal and had fed Sandra to everybody in the dog food in order to like support his insanity defense. But I feel like maybe they just said that they spread it in order to discredit people saying that it had happened to make him look to make him look better. Or at least not quite so much of a nightmare monster. Because he's already a nightmare monster even without feeding a woman to these other women, even without grinding up one human and feeding it to some other humans he has trapped in, his, in a hole in his basement. Yep. Josephina said, these are things you see in a horror movie. In fact, he got the idea of feeding Sandra to the other women from a film called Eating Rowell. I've never heard of that film. Email us if you've heard of Eating Rowell. <laughs> Our email address is... SurvivorTeamGo at gmail.com okay so like i told you before and we went over it um heidnik used electric shock as a form of torture and he'd forced three of his captives bound in chains into the pit and he ordered rivera and another woman to fill the hole with water and then forced rivera josephina to help him apply electric current from a stripped extension cord to the woman's chains deborah dudley was fatally electrocuted and Heidnik disposed of her body in the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. And throughout this time, Josephina had begun to get on Gary's good side. So sometime in between him, the torture and like when Sandra was murdered and then he boiled her head in a pot and took Josephina up there and was like, if you don't stop misbehaving, this is going to be your head in this pot. And between, like, forcing her to become an accomplice and murder, murdering her friend Deborah, somewhere in between there, she decided the only way she was going to escape was to gain Gary's trust. So she began behaving. And on March 23rd, 1987, Josephina went so far as to go outside of the house with Gary and help him abduct, um, what was it, 18-year-old Agnes Adams? 19-year-old Agnes 18. Adams? 18-year-old Agnes Adams. Rivera later convinced Heidnik, she was like, look, I, you've got me so brainwashed that I'm helping you abduct girls. You can let me go. And she convinced Heidnik, he let her go temporarily in order to visit her family. He drove her to a gas station and said he would wait for her there. She walked a block away from the gas station and called 911. <laughs> what happened is she walked a block away from the gas station, called 911, told them she would meet them at her boyfriend's apartment. I think she lived with her boyfriend. And she went there, and her boyfriend didn't believe her. He was like, where have you been for four months? And she was like, uh, this crazy white guy held me as a sex slave and tortured me in his basement. And her boyfriend was like, no, he didn't. He's like, you're on drugs again? Yeah, he's like, you're you f- fucking high. And she's like, I'm not high. This happened. And he's like, no. And then the police came, and the poli- and she told the police, and the police were like, you're fucking high. And she was like, y'all think I'm high? And she took off her clothes, and she was covered in scars, knife scars, like fresh wounds from being whipped. He whipped them, all the scars from being electrocuted. And they were like, what the fuck? And that's when they believed her. So anyway, um, that's how I heard it. But in this article that I was reading, it said uh, the responding officers noting chafing from chains on her leg. So I don't know. I love how everybody has to tone it down, right? You got to make it sound not as bad as it actually was. It's like like chafing would make them care. You know, how about the, the fact that my back is just a fucking raw latticework of whip wounds and electrocution burns and whatever. It's fine. Anyway, so then they went to the gas station, and there was Heidnik waiting for her to come back. So they arrested him. Uh, They also arrested his friend, Cyril Brown. He was released on a $50,000 bail and an agreement that he would testify against Heidnik, 
but he admitted to witnessing Lindsay's death in the basement. Lindsay was Sandra, Sandra Lindsay, and Heidnick dismembering her. Brown said he was there and saw it and knew that they were in the basement. What the fuck? Uh, shortly after his arrest in April 1987, Heidnick attempted to hang himself in his jail cell. He didn't succeed. I kind of started to remember this, the shape of this story when you started talking about um, uh, Sandra and like the hole. Because uh, I, I think you've told me this before, and I was like, oh yeah, he did wait for her at that gas station when we talked about what a dumb fucking idiot he was. I think Karen talked about it on uh, My Favorite Murder at some point. That was probably it. Yeah, I probably just overheard it. Or I don't know. I mean, I've uh, people have talked about Gary Heidnick on like true crime podcasts that I've listened to. I don't give a fuck about Gary Heidnick. I care about Josefina Rivera. Okay, so Josefina ran away, told the police, saved the lives of the remaining captives, Lisa Thomas, Jacqueline Askins, and Agnes Adams. No, Agnes was 24. Jacqueline was 18, and Lisa was 19. I don't know why their ages matter so much to me. Um, Okay, so the thing is, is that this was not the end of Josefina's fucking ordeal. Because throughout the trial, and for years afterwards, Josefina was painted by the press as Heidnick's actual accomplice. Maybe because she's black. Do you think that might be why? Because if a little white girl had done it, I don't think she would have been painted as an accomplice. I don't know. Maybe she would have. Maybe our hatred of women just extends that far. Our victim blaming extends that far that even, even white women will be blamed. I'm mad, you guys. Uh, So Josefina was like, had obviously PTSD. She was horribly traumatized. She didn't get any help from anybody. She didn't get, I mean, the police didn't help her. They just told her, you know, they were like, you're lucky we're not charging you. Um, Yeah, because she helped uh, kidnap Agnes and she helped electrocute Deborah. Under under duress, she was being threatened with like death and dismemberment and torture and all kinds of that's fuck that's ridiculous. Well, the police suck. They're like, it's not duress if he let you leave the house. What the fuck ever. Anyway, so she she gave up her two youngest children for adoption, the ones that were in foster care, um, because she wasn't capable of caring for them. And she went. She was trying to get out of the drugs for her kids, and she went hardcore back into the drugs to cope with the trauma. She said, my time in the teller, my time in the cellar changed me forever. I kept trying to go back to the person I was before Heidnick, but it simply wasn't possible. She eventually found the right, some kind of therapy that helped her. And in 2010, she was reunited with the children that she had given up for adoption. Now a 53 year old grandmother of six, who is close to all of her family, Josefina has found peace at last, living near the sea in Atlantic City. Last year, I don't know when this, this is like copied and pasted from some article, so I don't know what last year is. Um, But at some point, she married her long-term partner, Chris Lyle, 51. She said, you don't ever totally get over an experience like mine. You just have to learn to live with it. And that's the case of Josefina Rivera, my personal hero. Fucking love her. The courage that it would take to take a guy that, I mean, and he was raping, like, maybe I glossed over this part. He was raping them every day. I mean, besides the torture. Like, I, I guess I felt like that went without saying. But he was, like, raping all of them every day. So a man that's raping you, torturing you, starving you, keeping you in a fucking hole. Saying that he, like, after he kills one of you, like, by mistake, because he doesn't care, he's like, oops, and then feeds her to you? Like... Just, like, unimaginable horrors... She convinces him that she's his friend and then just goes and tells the police and the police are like, we don't fucking believe you. And she was like, let me show you the scars. And then she goes through the trial. You know, she doesn't just like peace out. She takes them back. She doesn't just leave and go crazy and like hide, which would have been perfectly understandable. No, the first thing she does is she leaves, walks down the street, gets a fucking payphone. She calls the goddamn police. She's like... Come and then the police are like, "No, you didn't. You're crazy." And she's like, "I'm not crazy." And like anybody would have like, uh, I guess not anybody, but I would have perfectly understood if she had just been like, "I guess I am crazy." I would have thought I was crazy, but no, she was like, "Let's here's the scars. We gotta go get Gary." And then she gets painted as an accomplice. Jesus. 
And it does, and she gets painted as accomplice through the whole trial, and she stays, and she testifies against him, and she faces him in court, and she does all these things that would have been crazy, even if they weren't trying to make it sound like she was the one that had done all of it. Like that's insane. And then she like she like pulled her life together. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm very glad that she like. Like, in 2009, she's a grandmother of six, and she marries her partner, and she's, like, doing fine. She's close to all of her family. She lives by the sea. It's so beautiful. Like, she patched things up with her kids, and that can't have been easy, you know? Like, she really wanted to be a good mom. She tried really hard. So, shout out to Josefina Rivera. (laughs) More badass than we'll ever fucking be. I never want to be that badass. Jesus Christ. I never want to go through that. But mad props. She survived. She fucking survived. That's what we're about here. Yay. Yay, Josefina. Read her book. Read her book, Seller Girl. Who's your featured survivor this week, Oliver? My featured survivor this week is uh, Cecil McDonald, noted uh, transgender uh African-American trans, trans activist. Uh, she's, uh, uh, I'm forgetting the verb, activated. She's done activism. Done, she's done activism f- on behalf of prison abolition and... Activated activism. Activate, activate. activism, activate. <laughs> Okay, sorry. (laughs) Sorry, everybody. (laughs) I just want to apologize for that. So on June 5th, at almost midnight, in uh, Minneapolis, in June 5th, 2000... Okay, let me start over. So on June 5th, 2011, at almost midnight, in Minneapolis, Cece McDonald and her four friends, three or four friends, were uh, walking to the grocery store to get groceries um, and they passed a bar on the way and I can so easily picture this happening in uh, the neighbor, like the neighborhood that we live in in St. Louis like in Tower Grove South there's like these little discount grocery stores and there's a bar on the way you know like this could be us or my friend from work and her her roommate and they're both trans <laughs> this and uh Okay, so it's just Minneapolis is a lot like St. Louis in a lot of ways. So they're walking to buy groceries, and it's almost midnight. They pass a bar. Uh, this old man who's like 48, he's not that old, but whatever. He's, he's some old man, you know, in, out in front of a, a bar called the Schooner Tavern, and he's out with his friends, and he's like, they're, he and his friends are like yelling like racist Transmisogynistic slurs at these this group of people, like homophobic stuff. They're like, oh, look at these faggots, look at these in words, you know, something about um, look at this boy dressed up like a girl with with her dick all tucked in, like really gross bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of the, one of CC McDonald's friends goes over and says, hey, like basically goes over to say, hey, like don't say this shit. This is gross and offen- like horrible. Like, don't talk to us like this. You don't talk to us like this. This guy, this 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 guy, uh, his ex girlfriend, who's like yelling, yelling shit. Uh, finally, like, throws her drink in uh, Cece's face because they're all, I guess, in, like it, like shouting at each other at this point. You can kind of piece it together from the narratives that are told that they're all like shouting together at this point. Things are getting like dramatic and heated, and it's like a horrible bullshit situation that nobody really like wants. Like they didn't ask for, and they didn't want to be part of. You know how you're just like walking along, and then suddenly things escalate. Yeah, and so this girl, this woman, who's uh, this old man's like uh, ex girlfriend, throws her drink in Cece's face, and then like cuts, breaks the glass that she's drinking it out of on her cheek. Slicing it open, it later needed like twelve stitches and um, like ripped a salivary gland in her face that made uh, recovery really, really, really difficult. What did she have? Like a beer bottle, and she like broke it? No, it was across like her face. Some a drink, a glass, like a glass, like a cocktail glass or something that she broke on her face. 
So then, like, Cece's, like, walking away, I think. So the accounts are, are kind of are kind of uh, uh, conflicting, but Cece, it looks like, walks away and is pursued by one or, like, either one of the women in the group or and Dean Schmitz, the guy that ended up dying, or both of them. Anyway, she... He's like yelling shit at her. She's been, she's, her face has already been slashed at this point. She's bleeding. She's a trans woman, a, a black trans woman in Minneapolis. And it's 24, uh, 2012, 2011. It's 2011. And he's following her, sh- shouting shit. And so she turns around with a pair of scissors in her hands. And this, it gets kind of dicey here because she, there was different things that, different accounts. She said different things at different times. One time she confessed. Uh, to having stabbed him. Another time she said that she was covering for a friend. I think that, and a witness said that she's, they saw her with something sharp in her hand and then that he stepped back. He was like, are you going to stab me? And she, he stepped back later and he was like, oh my God, you stabbed me. And she says, yes, I did. Um, I think that if she had stabbed him, that's fine. He's like coming after her, shouting shit. She's a she's she's a fear for her life. She's bleeding from her face. Um, you know, she's, she's already assaulted. already been assaulted by one of his associates. Like they're all yelling shit at her. She's a black trans woman. The any black any trans woman any trans person knows about the Transgender Day of Remembrance list. It's like miles long, and it's all trans women's names, and it's mostly black trans women, and like. There's like like four exceptions to where it's not a trans woman, and one of them's a baby, so we don't know their gender identity, and like only two of them are trans guys. Like we're just like trans guys. I'm a trans guy. We're not murdered that often. One of often. them's a baby. One of them's literally a baby. Uh, this baby was shaken to death by their father for at six months old for playing with girls' toys. It's terrible. It's. I mean, the transgender day of remembrance is a really really rough. Like, that whole thing is, like, a really rough uh, sort of right that we have in our community. <laughs> it's really terrible. Um, but it's important. Uh, anyway, Cece did not make it on that list, and good for her. She did not get killed that night. She could have. It would have been very easy for it to go that way. Because this is Survivor Team Go, not where we just list all the murder victims. Yeah, this isn't a true crime show. This is a Survivor show. So Cece was a fashion student at um, a university in the area, and she has a pair of fabric scissors in her purse, and she turns around, and this guy is shouting at her, and she's already been, like, slashed across the face, and uh, she says he runs into her scissors. Maybe she stabbed him. I don't fucking care. She defended herself from, a, like, violent, like, racist attackers the only way she knew how. And good for her. Well, that makes it sound like we think that she stabbed him, and we don't have an opinion. We don't have an opinion on whether or not she stabbed him. I am glad if she did. We don't. We don't blame her. But we're not saying that we think she stabbed. We're not like secretly saying that we think she stabbed him. But it's okay. We're saying we don't know. But if she did, it's fine. I'm kind of saying that I like wish that she had. (laughs) Even though it's not good for her legally. Anyway, what Fuck happened? That guy. I don't know. He died later of his wound because she, because uh, the. Let's not on air say that we want to kill people. Let's let's not celebrate people being murdered on air. <laughs> let's save that for our off-air fantasies about me killing my dad. <laughs> um, so she goes. She's arrested that night. Uh, this guy that got stabbed, it goes to the hospital and dies, I think, later that night. Uh, she is held on bail, um, and it's uh, there's a whole legal battle. She's charged immediately charged with second-degree murder without intent. Um, there, But there's this whole community uproar about it because it gains a lot of attention for some reason. I guess because of the way that the case plays out is that it's like a very clear cut case of like she was the victim of a hate crime and defend and maybe defended herself uh, and is like being punished for this. So there's a whole community up uproar about, uproar about this and there's this whole 
like thing that starts this campaign that starts as like free CC. Um, and in response to this, the uh, prosecuting uh, attorney raises the defense to second-degree murder with intent instead of dropping the charges as he is being pressured to do. He makes the charges more? Yeah, he doubles down. What the fuck? Yeah, this he's is, a, he's this a is Listeners, this is what fucking happens. We were literally talking about this earlier today. This is what happens when you try to stand up for yourself. The people who are being shitty to you double down. So if you ever felt like you were trying to stand up for yourself and then things got worse afterwards, you were probably right. I saw a picture of this lawyer online when I was doing the research for this, too, and he looks like a smug piece of shit. He's this some, like, old white dude who looks like a smug piece of shit. He probably really identified with the, with the, the guy that uh, died. He's like, oh, yeah, that could have been uh, somebody in my family. Uh, he was like, who doesn't just hang out in front of a bar and call the... Call people, f- like, N-word faggots. Exactly. Yeah. Call the transvestites N-word faggots. Yeah. <laughs> or chicks with dicks. There's just a lot of things that they were, they were saying. I'm a chick with a dick. Got a big fat one. Just trying to lighten the mood. I'm sorry. Um, I apologize for my big fat dick. <laughs> um, it just always gets in the way when it's so big. There's nothing you can do about it. People are like, how's it hanging today, Bailey? And I'm like, to the right. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> so CeCe McDonald eventually uh, accepts a plea bargain uh, and pleads guilty to second-degree manslaughter with negligence in order to avoid the risk of being sentenced to 20 or more years. She says she does it for her loved ones. Um, She's sentenced to 41 months. She gets out after 19. Um, In the meantime, she's visited by uh, and interviewed by trans activist uh, Laverne Cox, who makes a documentary about her called Free Cece. Uh, Laverne, I also I re- read that uh, Laverne Cox actually played her character on uh, Orange is the New Black as like a C.C. McDonald sort of character. I didn't know that. I looked up the dates that when it aired and I was like, oh yeah, that's the right timing too. She apparently was really involved in her case, like, or really, really invested in personally and did like a whole like long interview that she turned into a documentary. Uh, Leslie Feinberg, who's kind of uh, a pioneer of the trans uh, liberation front also visited her in jail. Uh, I love Leslie Feinberg. They're really cool. There's this really moving picture of like from visiting uh, them visiting CC in jail, and CC's on the other side of that glass window wearing the orange shirt, and she's smiling because she's got a visitor, I guess, and you know keeping her spirits up. She was in segregation the entire time, so I guess she was alone. I don't know what segregation means exactly. It's not solitary. It's not solitary, but it's like she wasn't in the general population, and she was. Petitioning to be in the general population. That was another thing. She was placed in men's fucking prisons. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, like, given hormones for a while and then given the wrong dose. And then there was a lot of pressure and eventually there was, she was given the right doses of her um, hormone treatment. She's out now. She got out in 2014. And she continues to be an activist for prison abolition and uh, for, you know, trans liberation and stuff. She's great. She sounds amazing. Go CC. Go CC. CC. Shout out to CC McDonald. Go CC. 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 CC McDonald. Trans hero. Yay. I've imagined stabbing somebody with scissors. Just one person. I wonder who. Yeah, I mean, I don't. We can't. We can't know. We can't talk about it. We can't know. It's my dad. I wish he was dead. I wish he was dead too. We all really wish that he was dead. Anyway. Everybody wishes he was dead. Oh, there's only one person that doesn't wish that he was dead. In the whole world. No, one of his brothers might not. It doesn't matter. C.C. McDonald matters. C.C. McDonald. And you, listeners. And you guys. You matter. Speaking of you, the listeners, and mattering, Oliver, what's your survivor tip this week? Oh, shit. I actually don't have one. Um, hang on. My survivor tip this week, going to keep it short and sweet, your thumb. If you go into the tear duct, you want to do like a a scooping, popping motion, you know? So like when you like use a spoon to lever something out, like like kind of pitting an avocado. Have you ever pitted an avocado? That kind of motion. Oh, I, oh, you should be using a spoon. Stab and twist. Oh, the stab and twist. That's better. 
Well, what I always used to do is I would take a spoon and like like get the spoon under the pit and just sort of like pop it out. Whenever I tried to do that, I would always the pit would end up across the room. Yeah, that's what happens when you do it that way. Uh, that's the way my mom taught me to do it. Then later I learned the stab and twist method, but I did. I did end up almost stabbing myself several times with that method. So, because avocado pits are slippery. Anyway, you guys, take your thumb, jam <laughs> it, jam it into the tear duct, and what you want, you want your nail to be on the outside towards the eyeball, and you want your the skin part of your thumb to be on the soft, the soft inside, and you just jam it in, and then keep your thumb stiff, and it's just like a popping motion, just a pop, and the eyeball pops right out of the socket. Pops right out. That's a uh, oh also also self defense tip, not torture tip. Also, it only takes thirteen pounds of pressure to rip off a human ear. So just think about that, guys. Next time somebody's on top of you and you can get your teeth around their ear, the human jaw's capable of like a lot more than thirteen pounds of pressure. I don't know how much. I'm not going to even make up something, but I know it's more than thirteen pounds. So just keep that in mind, Oliver. What's your tip? My tip is always charge your phone. <laughs> It's actually, I think, a pretty good tip. It sounds silly coming after the, uh, the, the, the thumb thing. Your things are not silly, but because my things are crazy. Uh, but always charge your phone. Keep your phone charged. Like, be really, like, really, like, anal about it. Your phone is a like huge safety thing. Keep it on your person at all times. Don't lose your phone. Um, keep it, keep your phone charged. Take a phone charger with you. Keep one at home. Keep one in every room. <laughs> keep your phone charged. You might need your phone. This is something I actually heard on my favorite murder, but, uh, you just reminded me, you can keep old phones around. Uh, oh yeah. They'll yeah. call 911 even without service, even without a service carrier. Yeah. So keep your old phones charged and then just like scatter them throughout your house. Yeah. That's a really good idea. And then if you get... Even, like, a burner. And then if you get locked, like, locked in your bathroom or something, you know, and, like, there's, like, an invader in your house and you get locked in your bathroom, if you have, a, like, a phone hidden in your bathroom that's charged, just turn it on, call 911. Hide a secret phone in every pocket of your, like, hidden pockets in your clothes. So, so secret pockets into your backpack. Um, that's mostly a joke. That doesn't sound very practical. Who knows how, like, you probably only have, like, at most, at the very most, like, three old phones, but... Uh, hey, if you can do it, it could you come in handy? Anyway, just to reiterate, emergency services always work, even if you, your phone doesn't have a carrier. This has been Survivor Team Go, <laughs> a fan cast for the TV show <laughs> Survivor. Survivor. Join us next episode when we talk about um, uh, the the torch. Uh, who's... Uh, uh, what what teams and alliances we're on this week? What a fucking slut Terrence is. <laughs> Terrence, he's, he's, stole. he's such a fucking hoe. He's first of all, he's always wearing that goddamn bikini, and second of all, he stole Brittany's island boyfriend. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> he stole my island boyfriend. It's so tragic. He also stole my island girlfriend. Is there like a Survivor Couples? Join us next episode when we do Survivor Couples. Survivor Thruples. Survivor Borneo. <laughs> um, we're going to Borneo. This has been our Survivor reality show podcast. Thank you for listening. Wait, now we have to do our outro again. Remember, listeners, there's a war going on out there. And in the immortal words of Audre Lorde, your silence will not save you stay safe out there survivors we're a team now go (laughs) (laughs) go team survivor (laughs) go team survivor